tuning into the Cork Creative Podcast. With this podcast, we hope to shine a light on the great work being done in local businesses. If you would like to learn more, please visit corkcreative.ie. Cork has a long-established reputation for its outstanding food producers. In recent years, wonderfully crafted Cork beers and spirits have come to the market that accentuate that reputation. With that in mind, we have decided to run our first series on craft drink producers here in Cork. Today, in the first of the series, Paul Corbett, head distiller at Clankilty Distillery, joins Patrick for a chat about all things whiskey and gin, about their focus on consistently good taste, the maritime influence, his own personal journey to becoming a master distiller, the benefits of working in a smaller sized distillery and being a whiskey nerd. And you're very welcome to Core Creative, Paul. Yeah, thanks. Good, glad to be here. It's good to have you, sir. So there's probably a bottle of whiskey in every home in Ireland, but not all of us know the differences between the whiskey. So can you tell the audience and indeed myself the differences between single malt, blended whiskey or single grain whiskies and where they fall within the hierarchy of whiskies, so to speak? So a uh, single malt whiskey would be a whiskey which is produced 100% from malted barley and it's also the product of a one single distillery. Grain whiskey would be a whiskey produced from usually around 90% corn or wheat and about 10% malt and is produced in a column style still rather than a pot still. Okay. Uh, and then a blended whiskey would be a, a blend of malt and grain whiskey combined. Now there is a fourth style of whiskey which is uniquely Irish and is what we focus on in Clonakilty, and that is pot still whiskey. Mm-hmm. And pot still refers, refers to the grain that's used. So in pot still whiskey, a proportion of the grain, a minimum 30%, has to be raw, unmalted barley, which is yeah, kind of a uniquely feature of Irish whiskey and is what we focus on in um, Clonakilty distillery. Now, blended whiskey can also be a mixture of pot still and malt or pot still and grain whiskey. It's very interesting. And I suppose each of those uh, distilling processes would give and still, I suppose, a different flavor and a different characteristic to the whiskey. Yeah. So malt um, would have kind of a more sweety, biscuity kind of breaded flavor. The use in pot still of that uh, raw barley gives you a heavier, oilier, slightly more grainy, spicy flavor in your whiskey. Mm -hmm. And uh, grain style whiskey, which has a higher proportion of uh, wheat or uh, mainly corn, gives you a much lighter style of whiskey. And I'm fascinated by the, the role of master distiller in the, the entire process, to be honest. But is distilling whiskey a scientific art or an artistic science? So where do you draw the line? And I appreciate your, your, you have your microbiology qualification, you have your distiller qualification. So you're very well qualified to answer this question. So what do you think, Paul? <laughs> yeah, so the production of whiskey has two sides to it. So mm-hmm. first, there is our distillery where we produce from the raw materials, the grain, the yeast, the water, we actually produce a clear new make spirit. And the second side of the process is we take that spirit and we move it to our maturation house where we put it into oak casks for a minimum three years. And so I would say the that first part in the distillery where we're making that new make white spirit is very science focused. Um, 
a lot of uh, you know hitting exact temperatures for enzymes conversion of starches to sugars and then the distillation the separation of compounds on their volatility that's quite science based sure. but then once we transport that spirit to the warehouse it's a lot more craft based so you're putting the spirit into oak casks which were a living breathing organism at one point though it's biology it's not science every cask is different and so that's when like sensory comes into it a lot more and when we're blending whiskies you taste them you think maybe one is spicy one is sweet blending these together that's very much uh, an art form still okay and i suppose that, that leads on to the next question how do you then ensure consistency from one bottle to the next when you're dealing with casks which are that living breathing thing as you said yeah, so for a distillery of our size, it's it's very difficult and it's not even something I'm 100% focused on. So say a, a blend of our whiskey would only be usually in and around 10 casks worth. So from batch to batch, they're so small, it's impossible to get 100% consistency um, but what we can do is we can be 100% consistent on quality and 100% consistent on it actually tasting good. So you might pick up, say, one batch of our uh, pork cask and then another batch a few weeks later, and you might even see that the color is a little different. And so, you know, we don't use any um, artificial colorings or anything like that in our whiskey. So there is going to be variations from batch to batch, but there won't be any variation in quality, hopefully. It's the it's similar to a wine, the, the approach you did that other countries would take with wine, potentially. Or am I doing a, I'm doing a disservice there, but you know that I suppose different vintages potentially or different um, runs will have different characteristics, but the quality is always maintained at a high level. Yeah, the, like the flavors are always going to be in the same ballpark, but yeah. Yeah, consistently good is what I'm really trying to well, achieve. Fair enough. Given that it's your taste and you're the one who's managing the quality control as the master distiller, if you were, and I'm not suggesting you are, but if you were to step out and someone else was to step into the role, would their palate and their flavor profile, you know, how would it differ from master distiller to master distiller? The Their appreciation of the, the whiskey, how subjective is that tasting and that blending potentially? Uh, yeah, I think it absolutely would change. You know, um, you know, everyone is different and even everyone's palate is different. Everyone is sensitive to different flavors mm -hmm. at different levels. So, yeah, I think the flavor would absolutely change, but it's not, I'm not saying what I'm making is going to suit everyone or so, you know, you can't please everyone. But no, of course, well, I'm, I'm blending what I think is going to taste good and what I think the majority of the people will taste good. And if another blender came in, I'm sure they would also blend a whiskey that a lot of people would taste good as well, although it might be slightly different. Oh, from my um, sampling of your stock, I have no uh, no criticism as to your choices at all, sir. It's it's, it's fantastic, and it's hear. great that it comes from Clon too. I mean, it's it's great to have a local product of such quality for sure. And my family and I were we were, took a trip to Galleyhead to see the the I suppose the. The, the quiet before the storm at the weekend and we noticed that you had your signs up um, in and around Galley Head uh, calling out the local ingredients and the local processes and how that's incorporated into the whiskey and the Atlantic coast uh, plays a massive role in the final end product in terms of flavour and how you market it 
do you always plan to stick close to that core flavor base or would you branch out to other flavors then beyond the the coastal inspiration shall we say yeah i think we will always um stick to that kind of maritime influence and even more in the future there are <coughs> other distilleries um playing around with peated flavors and things like that and i wouldn't say it's i'd rule it completely out but if I was to use these kind of peated smokage flavor, I would only, I would peat the barley we are growing ourselves around the Galleyhead Lighthouse and then only use Irish peat to make sure that the product is still 100% clonacilty stamp on it. And I suppose it's the, the demand for craft whiskies has seen exponential growth. So have you seen um, a corresponding growth in the demand for your particular skill set? Are there more master distillers and there's more people working in this uh, rarefied space? Well, sure, because, you know, up until only a few years ago, there was uh, only four distiller, big distilleries running in the country. So it was um, there was only four real master distillers around the country. And now we're in the, the 30, 30 odd distilleries in the country. So yeah, there's been a, an explosion in demand for these uh, skills and it is very hard to find people with these skills. Um, so at our distillery, we are the distillers we have, we're hired and we're training them up from, from scratch. Yeah, there's also now there, some of the third level institutions have started bringing in uh, courses on brewing and distilling, which is obviously great for us and sourcing new staff. We're still a, a rare breed and uh, I think it's only going to get worse. There seems to be a lot more um, distilleries in the, in the pipeline. Um, you have a very, you had took a very interesting path to becoming a master distiller. So can you kind of outline to the audience, I suppose, how, how you came to be a master distiller, um, the courses you undertook, your career progression before you arrived at Clannacilty Distillery? Sure. So I guess in university, uh, I went to UCC and I was doing um, microbiology. So that is the study of microorganisms and yeast, uh, etc. And the whole time I was there, I would have been also had quite an interest in craft beer, which was kind of starting to um, come about at that time, the whole revolution of craft beer. So at home, I would have been making my own beer at the time. Um, and when I was finishing uh, my degree in microbiology, I had planned on moving to Scotland to go to a um, university in Edinburgh where there is a master brewer and master distiller course there. As I was finishing up in UCC, though, I got offered a job straight away in pharmaceuticals and I was broke and, you know, the master's was going to cost a lot of money. So I, was, uh, I said I better save up for a year. Coming to the end of that year, when I was going to apply to Scotland, I had the opportunity to go to Japan for a few months to work. So I think that was a pretty rare, unique opportunity. So I decided to go there. And then when that was coming up, um, as a lot of young Irish people did, the recession was just starting to hit in Ireland then. So it's like, oh, maybe I'll just do as a lot of other people are. And I went to uh, Australia for a year. And there um, I worked on a vineyard for a lot of the time. So it gave me even more appreciation for working in the alcohol industry. Mm-hmm. And when my year there uh, ended, I returned to Ireland again after being in Scotland, Australia for the year. I was completely broke and we were 
into the recession again. So luckily enough, I was man I managed to go uh, back into pharmaceuticals and stayed there for enough time to save up for the masters. So I did eventually get to to Edinburgh a few years later than I had planned. Studied the master brewer master distiller course at Harry Watt University for a year and. Again, was lucky enough, but before I was finished, I was hired by CNC in Clonmel to work in the large Bulmers um, plant there, but working on the, putting in a new uh, craft brewery there. So, yeah, I stayed there for about a year and a half. I answered a call for a head distiller at the Teeling Distillery in Newmarket, which was just starting up at the time as well. So they were slightly ahead of the curve there on opening that distillery. So I was like, this is a fantastic opportunity. So I packed up and moved to Dublin, which where I stayed for about another two and a half years. Uh, when I was there, I heard that uh, Michael Scully was going to be uh, opening this distillery in Clonakilty and being from Cork myself and sick of living in a box room in Dublin for 800 euros a month. I said I'd shoot him an email and see what happened and we met up and about three months later there I was constructing the new distillery down in uh, Clannacilt. That's that's a that's fantastic and the as you say you're you're involved at the construction phase and now with Clannacilt Distillery you're across many roles in the organization you've got a very more much more involved role than you would have in a larger operation where you'd have a very specific role and do you like that kind of broad sweep of responsibility and the fact that you're involved across so much of the business oh yeah absolutely you know a variety is spice of life i suppose and being with the a distillery of our size yeah um i'm not just say the blender or the distiller i can be a driver or a sweeper or anything on a whatever calls for it but yeah so in a smaller business you'd be responsible from the grain coming in to the whiskey going out and everything in between. Whereas, yeah, in a, once say a larger company, you might only be doing the brewing or you might only be doing the distilling. And also with a company of our size, um, it would have a lot less automation, say during the distilling process. So a lot of the cuts on our spirit still, where we divide the, the heads, which is the component of the spirit with the higher alcohols, which you don't want in your final spirit. You have your hearts, which is the good tasting spirit, which goes forward into the casks. And then you have the tails, which again, contains diffusal oils and compounds that don't taste very good. Um, we, in our distillery, that's all divided up on taste and sensory of the distiller. Whereas in say, maybe a big multinational, it would be a meter monitoring the flow and temperature and pH. So having the opportunity to use a lot more craft like that in sure. a company of our size, uh, something that really appeals to me. Great to see you. Great to hear. I suppose you, you mentioned some of the differences there between some of the larger operators and it is a very dynamic marketplace, but there are still some behemoths to contend with. You've already talked about the differences in your process, but uh, what else do you use to uh, define and differentiate yourself as a business? Yes, yeah, so say on a very large company, like we can't compete on volume and then mm. consequently can't compete on price. Mm. But what we can compete on consistently is the quality. Mm-hmm. So again, like I always spoke about earlier on the keeping the quality consistently high, mm-hmm. that's what our, our focus is on. 
Sure, and you've got that nice kind of reciprocal um, relationship between the the place and the ingredients. I suppose you call out where you're getting it from, and that's it's it's very much situated in Clon. It's of Clon in terms of its ingredients and the fact that you've got such a prominent position in Clon Town itself, which everyone will notice as they're driving through on their way to all the various spots in West Cork. Yeah, yeah, and being of our size, I guess we can be a lot more flexible sure. in our approach to stuff. So you know, we grow the majority of our own barley ourselves, and soon to grow all of it ourselves where a large company could never could never be able to grow the volumes that they need no that's another key differentiator no it's 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 farm to fork for whiskey <laughs> which is which is great to see with our gin i call it a, it's grass to glass nice <laughs> our gin is a whey based spirit mm-hmm. and so our owner michael scully and where our warehouse is uh, situated is a large dairy farm the milk from the dairy farm goes to, say, the Carberry Co-op, mm-hmm. where the byproduct of the milk industry is uh, whey. Mm-hmm. And they have a special yeast that can uh, ferment whey to alcohol, which they, they then distill. So we buy back this whey-based spirit mm-hmm. and redistill it ourselves with our botanicals to produce our minky gin. So it really comes from the, the grass on our own farm all the way into the bottle as well. Every component of it is used, shall we say. It's very um, sustainable and environmentally conscious from that perspective too. Yeah. The signature botanical also in the gin is rock samphire, which we harvest from the um, cliffs around the warehouse. Mm-hmm. And so I would only harvest that every second year and distill it for about two weeks a year just to leave, um, leave it recover for the whole two years until we pick it again. That's great to hear. You speak about rock samphire, you're, you speak about the botanicals that you use and the fact that you're developing your particular whiskey, which does differentiate from what we described as the behemoths. But you think that there's been a modification or a, or more of an appreciation in the Irish palate now for better whiskies, more flavorsome whiskies? Have we moved beyond the kind of the established players? Or is there now more of an appetite for the better whiskies? the the whiskies that you're producing yeah absolutely the consumer these days is a lot more informed on what they're buying and yeah um a big focus towards um quality over quantity Mm -hmm. and so we have a visitor center in the distillery now as well and i notice when our guests come in and we talk to them on the floor they uh, they have a lot more knowledge now about how the process works and whiskey the world in general uh, which is great to see because I love talking about whiskey. I could nerd out talking about whiskey science all day, which, which is great for me. Um, but yeah, a lot more premium whiskeys being sold. We sell our whiskeys at the slightly higher ABV usually. Mm-hmm. So our, our main core expressions at about 43.6. And then we sell some of the other ones even higher up to cask strength. Mm-hmm. And so that keeps a lot more of the flavor in the whiskey and allows the consumer, you know, if they wish to dilute and create their own personal flavor, uh, they enjoy themselves at home. So, yeah, there's a lot more interest in in whiskey out there at the moment. We have been growing up a heritage style of barley and we distill that completely separate. And people are really interested in kind of these more unusual products that we're going to be bringing out. 
and they that speaks and dovetails nicely into the plans for 2022 so this is where you're you'll be le- uh, leveraging that heritage barley and uh, you will have um other series of whiskey launching what are your plans in 2022 so 2022 is going to be the birthday of our first three-year-old spirit which is going to be a you know a big a big day for the distillery although Probably won't release any of that whiskey in 2022. You know, um, three years is the legal minimum you're allowed. You have to age the whiskey for, but that doesn't mean you should release it straight away at um, three years old. We're going to evaluate it there. It's the first of May is when it has its birthday, so we'll see what it's like. We'll probably move some into finishing casks and play around with it probably for a release late, actually 2023. But there'll be a lot of work next year around around the plan for our first whiskey ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the heritage barley we, um, we've been growing up and we distilled this year for the first time. So that won't actually be whiskey for another two years. We'll do another run of that next year, probably a bit bigger. So that's yeah, going to be quite an interesting project. Um, we'll also probably trying to play around with yeast a bit more. Um, Wanted to do it for the last two years. Obviously, COVID kind of got cut in the way, but I wanted to start up a project trying to isolate our own unique yeast from Clannacilty. As a microbiologist, that's something you know that interests me a lot. So I'm gonna try and get involved with UCC and isolate some unique um, yeast from around Clannacilty. That's fantastic. On the heritage whisk, the the heritage grain, that's going to go into one specific uh, limited edition release of whiskey, or what's the, it, it, or is it going to be part of a, a core expression that's going to be more readily available, shall we say? Yeah, so the, the heritage barley is always going to be quite a, a limited um, volume. We started with about only about a handful of this uh, grain and grew it up to this year, we had about 30 tonnes. I think we only filled about a hundred casks worth okay. of the spirit, and it'll probably be the same every year. Okay, is about how much we'll produce, and we, no, we'll keep that completely separate. So it really has that you know it's a pre-famine grain that hasn't really been grown up in a long time, so it should have a unique flavor that we want to showcase completely on its own. And even in the distilling process for that uh, grain. We removed any trace of previous grains we had used in the distillery, emptied all the silos and removed our heads and tails from our previous uh, grain we had been distilling. So it was like completely starting the distillery from day one all over again to distill this spirit. So it should be completely unique and uh, a flavor of its own when we go to release it. Brilliant. Something to look forward to for certain. You spoke about the fact that you're training up um, master distillers in Clon, and the course you undertook in Edinburgh, was it, uh, a lot of it was apprenticeship based to an extent? Were you in distilleries and in breweries practicing the skills or was it, was a lot of it, um, well, I don't mean to deride it, but textbook based to an extent? So the university in Edinburgh has its own distillery. Okay. And it has its own brewery. So um, when doing your master's there, you do distill, you do brew, Mm -hmm. you do the the complete process you do. Yeah, it's not a book, completely book focused um, course. Saying that when I did it, 
I think there was 20 students on the course. And so we got to spend a lot of time uh, in the distillery and the brewery. We could spend all our time there if we wanted. Now I think the course is over a hundred students. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a lot different um, now to what it was when I did it nearly 10 years ago. And there's more of an interest in having those kind of courses in Ireland now, presumably. So would, would courses like that come on stream more readily in Ireland than something that UCC or other universities will look to, do you think? or? There are. Um, I think Carlo IT do a brewing course and um, Dublin IT, I think, or Tal IT, but they wouldn't have the facilities like in Scotland. They wouldn't have a distillery or a brewery. That's definitely a key differentiator, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, but the set of guys we hired, actually only hired two guys last week or two weeks ago were super keen. Actually, one of the guy cold called us from working on a research base in Antarctica. So it took him about a month to actually get from there to here. <laughs> no, he was so uh, enthusiastic for wanting to get into the whiskey industry. And that's something that I almost look for more than anything else. Uh, if you have someone who's really interested and keen, I mean, they're going to put in the hard work to learn how to do it. No, I'd, I'd agree completely. It's um, yeah. a willingness to learn and enthusiasm is uh, as important as any prior qualifications. And we found that in our company, uh, an online learning company as well, for sure. This has been an education, Paul, and uh, I very much appreciate um, your patience with some of my uh, more basic questions. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, every good luck for your plans for 2022. And I very much look forward to tasting this heritage barley uh, based whiskey when it emerges in will three four five years time <laughs> yeah the heritage stuff um it'll be 2025 plus anyway it'll be worth the wait <laughs> yeah it'll be worth the wait thank you so much paul much appreciated sir all right thanks